Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Toddcast, The Teacher Podcast, an informative podcast that explores a variety of teaching and educational experiences while still offering insights into improving and upskilling teachers. Join your host, Todd Broadbent, as he explores the wide and varied lives of educators from every sector, exploring fundamental concepts that are pivotal to good teaching, while also discussing the lighter side of the educational sector. Welcome to the Toddcast, the teacher podcast. For the 48th episode of the Toddcast, the teacher podcast had the wonderful opportunity of interviewing Sue Webb. Sue has been a high school teacher for over 30 years and has had various teaching and leadership positions during her teaching career. However, in 2016, Sue suffered a deliberating panic attack and for the next four years, her life spiralled out of control. Feeling lost and burnt out, Sue began writing and her book, Teachers Cry 2, was released in November 2022. It captures the challenges and joys of teaching in a world that is becoming increasingly more complex. Sue also launched her Facebook and Instagram account, Teachers Cry 2, which is a space for lived experiences and emerging research about teacher well-being. Throughout this episode, Sue will be sharing her educational journey, the reasons why she decided to become a teacher, the greatest challenge and proudest moment as a teacher, her story about struggling with her mental health and well-being, why teachers' well-being is so important, top tips for teacher well-being and wellness, if someone is struggling with their teacher well-being, what advice would she give? What schools can do to enhance their teacher well-being? About her book, Teachers Cry Too, her Instagram page, advice for graduates, goals for the future, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Sue. Welcome to the Toddcast, the teacher podcast. How are you? I'm really well, thanks, Todd, and very much looking forward to the chat. Yeah, can't wait to have a chat about your teaching career and then now everything you're doing as well. So yeah, really looking forward to having a chat and uh, getting into the podcast with you. Same. Well, firstly, have you had a highlight of the day? Yes, I have. As a matter of fact, I had, I met a friend, a good friend of mine for coffee this morning uh, and I was throwing around some ideas that I've got for a live event that I'm working on. And I was trying to come up with a way that I could bring together the work of teachers that they are doing outside of the classroom. Uh, because I know a lot of my colleagues are really good at that they do things for their own connection with joy that actually don't have anything to do with teaching. So some of my friends are making, uh, they make their own lanyards. Some of them are making their own chocolates. They're, they're quite crafty and they're doing a whole lot of different things. And so what I've come up with is the idea that I'm going to put together a sample bag or a goodie bag for people who come along that consists of things made by teachers for teachers. And so I thought we might open the podcast with a bit of an opportunity if there are any teachers out there who are listening who uh, who have a bit of a, a side hobby or a, a side hustle and they would like to be involved in that, they can get in touch. Yeah, I love that. I think that's fantastic. And I think as we we're talking about before, before we started the podcast, like it's great that people have got some passions outside and do some different things just to keep themselves You've got to switch off from teaching. You can't be just on, on, on. So I think that's great that people have got some passions outside. So yeah, absolutely. Anyone listening, if you've got something, make sure you send it in to Sue, that's for sure. Thanks. That'd be great. Love it. And then going back to when you were a student, what were you like, Sue? I was a bit of a rule keeper at school and a bit of a plotter too. I wasn't, I was never academically brilliant uh, and I'm still not taught, <laughs> but I am... 
uh, I was a hard worker and I was always pretty well organized. And so I think my achievements came really through hard work and perseverance rather than any kind of um, natural brilliance. I, I failed maths. I actually failed PE as well. How does that even happen? How does is it even possible to fail sport? Well, it is because I failed sport, but but of course I excelled in uh, things like literature and history and what we studied then as classical studies, which I I think is probably the equivalent of um, ancient history now today. But yes, I was not really a standout student academically and had to work work hard for the results I got. Yeah, totally understand. I'm very much very similar through my kind of education. I had to work really, really hard to get the results that I got. Nothing really came particularly easy for me. So I totally understand what you're saying about having to work hard. And um, I must say, like, I used to get really frustrated, the ones that used to be able to just get some great marks with not doing a lot of work. And I'd absolutely work my ass off and and just like get a pretty good mark from doing that hard work. But uh, so I know I totally understand there. Yeah, yeah. I certainly appreciated the good marks when they came because it often meant hours of work on my end. Yes, absolutely. Totally get it. And then do you have a favourite moment from school? I probably would name a a pivotal moment for me at school was uh, I went to school in Adelaide in South Australia. And at that time, the government was bringing in uh, refugees from Vietnam. And our school hosted a lot of those students and I was asked to be a buddy for a uh, a young girl who'd come over from Vietnam uh, without her parents, um, not speaking very much English at all. And I remember that being a pivotal learning for me in that it was the first time really as someone who was raised in a fairly, you know, conservative working class background It was the first realisation I had just how different life can be for people. Mm. So that was a standout memory for me. I think it would have been about year eight or nine. Yeah, a great like life opportunity as well and seeing how, yeah, everyone's lives are a little bit different as well. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Yeah, love that. And then now, Sue, can you tell me about yourself, your teaching journey and now what you're currently doing? Mm-hmm. So I start, I graduated as a teacher in 1990 and began my teaching career in regional schools in South Australia and then jumped over to Queensland and worked in regional schools in Queensland. And of course, as new teachers often do, I had to relocate to get my first teaching positions. And so you're thrown into an environment where you don't really know a lot of people. But the good thing about schools is that they're ready-made communities within themselves. And so it was relatively easy to make connections. And I still have friendships that I I made all those years ago. You know, I still have those friendships today. I was lucky to work with astute school leaders who understood the needs of young teachers. Different time, of course. I think there was more discretionary time for teachers in those days also was lucky to work with really passionate young educators and it was characterized by lots of fun lots of learn as we go trial and error type of uh, professional development I suppose you could call it in those days I really that's kind of where I cut my teeth and was afforded perhaps opportunities in my career in those regional schools that you don't perhaps wouldn't normally get in in uh, in city schools since then, I've held a number of different leadership positions and I've, I've stepped back from those positions for reasons that we can talk about later. But at the moment, I'm doing relief work and contract work, which I'm really enjoying because it, 
it gives me the ability to work in different schools and see how things are done a little bit differently. Yeah, as you're saying at the end, like that's the great thing about schools is that they they are very, very different and schools operate different ways. So I think the opportunities that you've had with your leadership and then going to some different schools and now what you're doing, I think it would be really exciting to be able to go and go and see all those kind of things along the way as well and how everyone operates differently. Yeah, it opens your eyes a bit because sometimes, well, I, I had been in my last school for over 15 years and sometimes you can fall into uh, a bit of a feeling like oh, all, all schools are like this, but in fact, every school has its own vibe um, and its own kind of characteristic, often highly influenced, I suppose, by the leadership team and the the group of teachers, who you know, the dynamics of the staff at the time. And I, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, beautiful. And then what was the reason you decided that you wanted to be a teacher? I think like most teachers, uh, I was drawn by a sense of wanting to to work with young people. Um, I thought teaching was a career opportunity that offered um, a great sense of purpose. Uh, and it was, I saw it as meaningful work. I was also really fascinated. Well, I loved my subject. I've always loved literature. Uh, and so that was a, that was a good match. But I also have was really fascinated by um, the way kids learn, by the psychology of it and observing human behaviour, really. And so teaching was just a really good fit from the beginning. Yeah, excellent. And then throughout your schooling, did you have any teachers that inspired you along the way? Yeah, I had a couple. I went to an all-girls school and we had a number of sisters who who taught us. My English teacher was, I remember her as being very inspirational, I think because she loved the subject and so her passion was just contagious. The other teacher I would name for the same reasons really was um, when I went to Teachers College, I was lucky enough to be taught by Mem Fox and she was my language arts teacher at the time. And of course, as we know about Mem, she's so incredibly passionate about literacy and that also rubbed off on us. And she's just such a high energy, inspirational character that you couldn't help but be caught up in that momentum every time we walked into a lecture with her. Um, and I remember so many times just sitting and listening to her and thinking, I, I want to be a teacher like that. <laughs> uh, so, so that they're two that, that come to mind for me. Yeah, wonderful. And I'm, then I'm assuming that you've you've modelled yourself as a teacher based on those two people you just mentioned. Then, yeah. Well, I try to be aspirational, Todd, but I, I certainly try to be. I certainly still hear their voices sometimes. Interestingly enough, as a teacher, uh, especially when I'm um, thinking about if I'm a little bit uncertain about what my next step should be, I, I often do kind of hear their voices and think oh well you know what what would they say or what would they have done yeah. and they still guide me yeah excellent that's fantastic and then what's been your greatest challenge as a teacher so far in your career well I, I guess I would have to go to jump to 2016 which is really the impetus for the Teachers Cry 2 project which which again we'll we'll talk about a little bit later but in 2016 the wheels fell off a bit for me in my career and I'd have to say that, you know, I've, I've been a teacher now for over 30 years and for most of those, well, for 26 of those years, it's been a really wonderful and rewarding profession. For four of those years, uh, it was tough. And, and I think I would have to name that time as the most challenging. It was a chaotic time. It was a turbulent time. I certainly wasn't coping with the job. And I had a trigger event in 2016, which kind of offset a four-year struggle with mental illness and 
that's really what led me to take an active interest in the importance of well-being in the workplace. And I would have to name that as my most significant challenge as a teacher. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute as well. But yeah, thank you for sharing, Sue. And then we'll go on to a positive one. What's been your proudest moment so far as a teacher? Gosh, you know, so many moments. I don't think that I could name one as being a standout proudest moment, but I do think my career has been punctuated by a number of lovely milestone moments that have come when I think you can work with students to make a breakthrough where they come to see themselves differently as learners. And I think the reason I'm so proud of those moments is because it's always a celebration of teamwork. Uh, it's never anything that I've just done myself. It's always been what can I bring and what can the student bring and how can we meet each other? And uh, those things, I think, you know, those moments are almost, they're worth celebrating because they are a testament to teamwork. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I think as a prep teacher as well, I have those awesome moments that I get to see with my preps that we achieve something together and you can just see their faces when they're able to do something for the first time or something they've really struggled with and be able to achieve that. Like, that's the moments that you teach for, just to see their faces and their excitement, their love for being able to achieve something they haven't been able to do or a new reading level they've moved up to or something like that. It's they're the, That's the moments that you teach for. Yeah, there's something contagious about those simple, joyous moments, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And then as you were talking about before, Sue, can you tell me your story in regards to your well-being and the struggles that you've had at times and particularly maybe the moment if you're happy to share in, in 2016 and onwards? Sure. I I had a, a particular trigger event in 2016, which happened when I was driving my daughter to sport one Saturday morning. And that was partly the reason I didn't put it together as being a workplace issue because it didn't happen at work. And so the way that presented was that I had a physical shutdown response and couldn't see really where I was going, had forgotten how to get back, couldn't really navigate where I was or I lost my ability to hear properly as well. So although my daughter was talking to me, she was in the passenger seat, I was aware of her voice, but I really couldn't determine what she was saying. I understand this now to be a, a freeze response and a, a classic symptom of burnout. Uh, but I didn't know that at the time. So it was quite frightening, I guess, and quite a, a chaotic time. And so that event really led to it. Well, it took really four years, I think, before I was able to find a way back before I could really look and say, yeah, I, I feel like I'm coming out of it and that I could put some strategies and some steps in place for my recovery. I, I think during that time, I became estranged from teaching because I I became a bit disillusioned and I became angry with the job. I blamed my job for making me sick and I had to work through that. I had to find a different relationship with my work, one that was sustainable, uh, one that allowed me to rediscover the joy that I once had for the job I loved so much. And so I, I think you know, I, I had allowed my job to consume almost every other aspect of my life. And so for a while, I got a bit lost. And that that's something that I, I share openly in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit more about your book as well, which is fantastic. And, and again, Sue, thank you so much for your honesty in sharing your story and your struggles. Like I know that wouldn't be particularly that easy to share. So I really appreciate you 
sharing that. And um, as you've said, it would have been a really long and challenging journey along the way. I'm sure you would have had a, some positives and then a couple of step backs and and so forth to be able to get back to to where you are now and some of the things you're achieving now. So yeah, credit to you. Thank you. And really, I think uh, in some ways, although it was a difficult time, Todd, it's probably been one of the best teachers of all because I've learned so much through that experience and I've learned and continue to learn um, so much as I work through recovery and sharing that story I think is important because I'm hopefully it will help other people who might also be struggling or having a tough time and um, need some reassurance. Mm. And I think as well if you're not looking after yourself then you're not going to be able to do the best job you can for the students and the kids that you're working with at school. So yeah, I guess learning and understanding about yourself and everything like that would have played a huge role in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess I kind of know the answer for this one. So where's the passion for teacher wellness? Where'd that all come from? Mm, I think it came from realising that my experience was such a common experience in the teaching profession. And not just amongst older teachers. You know, we know the attrition rates amongst our, our early career teachers are too high. And I'm concerned that we're losing too much talent in this profession. So I think if our young staff are feeling overwhelmed and stressed and that and they are also describing the symptoms of burnout, then we need to ask ourselves why, what's going on in, in our profession and what can we do to help support teachers and to help support each other. And that was really the driving, that was really what was behind my decision to publish. Because I think in, in sharing our stories, it can make other people feel less isolated um, and can perhaps offer a sense of reassurance that look, actually, this is a really common problem we're not the only ones, even though it can feel like that sometimes. We can be in the staff room and look around us and think, oh, well, everybody else is able to do the job. Why can't I? And yet when you dig below the surface a little bit, it's a very common shared experience, I think, amongst a lot of teachers. Yeah, absolutely. And I know like the, the admin side of things and the extra things that keep getting added into teaching. I know how, like for me, I'm 10 years in and like sometimes i would struggle and and try and keep to, on to my to-do list that I've got that's never ending. And I know like I, I imagine like a grad coming in and I get to work with our graduates and I know how busy they feel and sometimes a bit all overwhelmed that they they feel as well. So it is a common thing, no matter how many years experience you have, it doesn't matter if you're a first year teacher to a 20 year teacher, burnout can can occur at any stage. Yeah, it really can. And what I'm what I really like for our grad teachers is that I'm hoping that they are more confident about opening those conversations, certainly than I would have been 30 years ago as a beginning teacher, because we didn't have the language around it then that we do now. We can we understand it so much better now. Yeah, excellent. And then you've been talking about this. Why do you think teacher wellbeing is just so important? Mm. Uh, I think it's interesting that apart from their parents, their teachers are the only other adult that young people are mandated to spend time with. You know, they have to go to school. And our kids are spending six hours a day with their teachers. And so it just makes sense that their teachers be in good shape so that they can step into those crisis points and they can step in and support young people 
when they need that support. There was a really interesting study done by the University of British Columbia. And what they did was they, they took saliva samples from primary school students and they measured cortisol levels every morning for those kids. And what they found was that the students who were in the classrooms of teachers who described themselves as feeling really stressed and overwhelmed and not being able to keep up and not coping with the job, the cortisol levels in those kids were elevated. And so what they um, concluded from that is that kids absorb the stress of their teachers, not only emotionally, but physiologically as well. Kids are picking up on our stress loads. And so I just think it's in everybody's best interests that if our teachers are in good shape, then they, they're better positioned to be able to step in and help young people in the way they need to. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, a fascinating study there. That's awesome. So no, thanks for sharing that. And then if someone asks you, what are your top five tips in regards to teacher wellness and well-being? What would they be? I know everyone's different and everyone has different things, but have you got some top tips that in regards to that? Yeah, I think you've, you, you've mentioned something important there in that everybody's experience and everybody's circumstances are different. And so when we talk about tips for well-being, what works for some people doesn't always work for others, but I'll share with you what has worked for me. And um, these are the things that I now live by. The first thing is I set very strict work boundaries in terms of the amount of time I'm prepared to devote to work, especially on weekends and after hours, and I stick to those time boundaries. The second thing I do is I make sure that I get the type of rest I need. And this has been a new learning for me because there are actually seven different types of rest. And the trick is to work out what type of rest you need. If people would like to know more about that, they can just do a Google search. If you can just, you can just Google seven different types of rest. Um, and so it, it focuses on, you know, do you need physical rest or do you need cognitive rest or do you need emotional rest or social rest? And there are seven different types. So that's been really helpful. I would say, make sure that you have an effective way to transition between work and home. If people are interested in that, Dr. Adam Fraser has done some really interesting work. He calls it the third space. And again, that's a Google search, but um, that, that transition time is really important to be able to keep work life and home life separate and set effective boundaries there. I would say, make sure that you make time in your life for fun. We, you know, we're, we're teaching young people after all, uh, and uh, I asked someone recently, you know, what what did you love doing? What what were the things that you loved doing as a kid? Do that because that that's often a way for us to tap into having fun and and reconnecting with joy in our lives. And the last thing I would say is um, learn to listen to and trust your own voice and your own body, because if you keep trying to push away what they're what they're trying to tell you you're just going to be putting off the inevitable. <laughs> I think um, nobody knows what we need better than we do in terms of our well-being. And so giving ourselves grace to really listen and listen to that inner voice and listen to, to the symptoms that our body will often show us we need, that's really important. 
Yeah, that, that's fantastic advice. Love that, Sue. I was like nodding away the whole time there. I think that's wonderful. So no, thank you so much for sharing that. And I can put some of those things that you mentioned as well into the show notes as well. That's so a little bit easier for people to click on and they can find those things that you just mentioned there as well. So right. I'll do that as well. But yeah, no, thanks. Great advice there. And if someone said that they were struggling with their teacher well-being or wellness, what advice would you give them? I would say the first thing you need to do is step back don't keep trying to push through. One of the things we know about burnout is that the symptoms re-emerge within a few weeks of returning to work. And so one of the mistakes I made was I kept saying to myself, if I can just hold on until the weekend, or if I can just hold on until the next school holidays, then I'll have time to recover and I'll be okay. And for a little while I was, but the symptoms inevitably re-emerge within a few weeks back at school because, of course, unless you've attended to the actual the stress agents and you're walking back into that environment, then like any condition, if you don't, you don't address the underlying causes, then those symptoms are going to reoccur. So I would suggest step back, get some professional support, go and see your GP because they will give you uh, lots of information and be able to make appropriate referrals. And I would say when you're recovering, focus on recovery, prioritise that, don't try and rush things because sometimes you can experience relapse and like anything, healing takes time. Yeah, excellent, great advice. Again, I think it's the issue of most teachers, they don't think about themselves enough. They're always thinking about their kids or the teaching team they're working with. I think sometimes the teachers are the last ones to actually think about themselves. But as we've been discussing, like, if you're not in the right headspace and your wellness isn't in the right place, then you're not going to be doing the best job you can for your kids or the people you're working with as well. So the importance of looking after yourself should be number one, and then your kids and the staff that you're working with as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then do you think schools are doing enough at the moment to support teachers with their wellness and their well-being? Uh, I think depends on the school really I, I think most schools that I've communicated with are doing their best I think a lot of schools don't actually know what to do or ha how to do it but I think when we talk about what schools can be doing what we're really focusing on there is a system approach so well-being has two components what can the individual teacher do to help themselves but also what can the school do as a system, as an organisation to safeguard teacher wellbeing? I think that's a really important part of the conversation and part of the advocacy work that's come from the Teachers Criteria Project. And I would say in terms of what schools implement, there should be two questions that schools keep in mind. The first question is, how does this improve student experience? If it doesn't, then we need to question the value and the reason why we're doing it. The second question would be, how is this going to impact my staff? Because if the cost is too high, then again, we need to review, you know, what, what's the purpose? What's the reason? At what cost are we going to pursue that particular initiative? And so we need to remember, you know, trying to shield teachers from the work that they find lacks meaning and lacks value is important because there are two reasons that teachers often cite as the reasons why they leave. One is the volume of work that they are doing has exploded. So 
it's just they can't get through it all. So that's one aspect of it. Teacher workload is has become unsustainable. But the other part of the picture is that teachers are finding themselves doing more and more work that they find demoralising and heartless. And we need to remember that teachers don't become teachers because they want desk jobs. Teachers want to be front and centre, connecting with young people. That's the work they find purposeful and valuable. And so when they find themselves pinned in their offices or at their desks, ploughing through paperwork that they see very little purpose in, that's demoralising and it erodes job satisfaction. That's part of the reason teachers are leaving. And so what can schools do? Address those two things, address the volume of work that they're asking teachers to do and ask, you know, is it is it actually improving a student experience? And then address also the type of work that we're asking teachers to do and is it meaningful and purposeful work for them? Yeah, couldn't agree more, Sue. I think that's, yeah, wonderful advice. So, no, thank you for that as well. And then you've been talking about this. Can you tell me about your book, Teachers Cry Too? And you've mentioned a little bit here. Where did the idea uh, to do a book, where did it come from? Ah, it didn't start as a book, actually. It started as a journal. At the time, I really wasn't able to think coherently and it was a very chaotic time. And so I just started journaling as a way of, of making sense of it. And I tried to answer two questions for myself. Number one, what happened? What was going on? And number two, why did it happen? What caused it? What led up to that? What signs did I miss along the way? Especially as an experienced educator who had worked many years with families on and off over the course of my career who were experiencing times of um, difficulty and emotional upheaval, I felt that I was pretty good at seeing the signs actually. But when it came to recognising them for myself, I, I didn't see those flags or perhaps I saw them. I certainly felt tired and I felt overwhelmed and I was feeling a little disillusioned, but I, I didn't recognise myself as being sick. And so my journaling was an attempt to kind of work through that to answer those questions. When I realised that there was a story in it and I was starting to talk more widely amongst my own colleagues and some trusted friends about what I was working on and what I'd been through, I realised that, as I said, it, it's such a, it's almost, it's almost a common theme in the teaching profession. And that compelled me to share the story more widely because I don't think burnout should be a common theme for teachers. Of all the workplaces that should be full of optimism and energy, it should be a, a workplace in which we are surrounded by kids. And so the the decision to move towards a book was really compelled by that realisation that it's never really been just my story. It's actually been the story of so many other people, so many other educators, not just teachers, but school leaders as well. And I think that in sharing our stories, we can empower other people in some ways to perhaps to, to feel more confident about sharing theirs or to reassure them, as I said earlier, that they're not alone in, in the way they're feeling. Mm, no, beautiful. Again, thank you for your honesty and sharing what's in there and, and, and actually getting the book out there and being so open and honest. I think that's wonderful, Sue. And as you said, if you can just help 
one person along the way. They've done a great job to be able to do that as well while sharing that book. So I think it's wonderful. And I know you've talked a little bit about this and sharing what's in there, but yeah, what's some of the things that are inside the book and where can people go and purchase the book as well? Uh, so the book really, obviously, it has a, a background theme of mental health in the workplace, but it shares anecdotes of what happens in schools, the joys of teaching, the frustrations of teaching, the victories, the inspiration, the inspirational nature of the work. And there's a, for example, there's a chapter in there on the effect of loss on school communities. So when, when we lose our students, either through, you know, through, through illness or through tragic circumstances, or, you know, I work at a school where Daniel Morecambe was a student at our school uh, and I was asked to participate in Daniel's funeral. And so I referenced that, of course, with the permission of the Morecambe Foundation, uh, just to talk about the emotional impact that has on um, the school community, on students who are often experiencing that, uh, you know, working through grief and death for the first time, the impact of that on teachers who need to step in and support them, and the emotional repercussions that has for us as as uh, as adults in that situation. And so the book has got a lot of that kind of I've tried to capture what what it what it's like to be a teacher today in in the modern classroom, uh, the crisis points that teachers are now stepping into more frequently, but also the joys and the the achievements and the triumphs that we celebrate as teachers too. Yeah, that's excellent. No, good on you, Sue. My next question is: Was it a buzz to write a book? But I guess there's been some challenges along the way for you, and some stories that probably weren't the best things for you. But was it still a bit of a buzz to have the book out there and in bookshops and everything like that? It was a buzz when I'd finished it. <laughs> so the writing of it was hard work. It was really I loved it. I loved the process of it. Being an English teacher, I loved the process of writing anyway. And in many ways, it was cathartic for me as a process. I still have to pinch myself when I walk into a bookshop and I see my book there. Yeah. And, you know, I still, there's part of me that can't quite believe that it's done and that it's actually there. So, so yes, absolutely. And the launch, when I launched it in November, I had about 100 people there. And that was a real celebration, which is what I wanted it to be. You know, we, it's it's called Teachers Cry Too, but there are a lot of tears of joy in teaching. It's an emotional roller coaster, I think, in lots of ways. And so the book launch was a real celebration of everything that teaching is. Yeah, that's excellent. So no, credit to you, Sue. And I think everyone out there that's listening, make sure you go and get a copy of it. And if people wanted to purchase it, Sue, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, you, you can um, purchase through me if you want to get on to um, Teachers Cry 2, either on Instagram or Facebook. There are links there. You can get it online, really. People can just have a look for it online. And there are a number of different agents selling it now. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure I put some of those into the show notes as well so people can click on those and, and go and purchase the book. So, no, highly recommend it. Go out there and go get it. So is there anything else you wanted to share about the book before we keep moving on? Oh, probably one of the young people in my life, I won't give them away, but, you know, when I was thinking about the title, I was really unsure of the title and they said to me, mm, look, no offence, but who wants to read about crying teachers? As it's turned out, I stuck with it because I thought that title most accurately captured where I was at the time of writing it. But as it's turned out, there's a surprisingly large number of people who do want to read about crying teachers, not just teachers, but I've been um, contacted by, you know, the partners of teachers uh, who often have to support their support them at home or 
parents who aren't teachers but who have adolescents and going through going through high school and they've they've found the insights of high school life quite eye-opening I think and parents of teachers you know pre-service teachers or grad teachers uh, who might be struggling their first couple of years in the job and and they've bought it for their kids so I think that's actually quite lovely the story's gone a little bit beyond perhaps where I was anticipating yeah, that's wonderful. I think, yeah, the more we can get out there about the the work teachers do and everything like that, the better. And that's the reason, like, I've started this podcast is trying to spread the the good word of, of teachers and what their amazing job so many educators and teachers are doing. So, you know, credit to you, Sue. I think it's fantastic. And I love, as I've said multiple, I love your honesty the whole way through. And credit to you to be able to share that as well in your book. Thanks, Todd. And then on Instagram, you're also as Teachers Cry Too, and you provide heaps of teacher wellness on your account. Do you enjoy this online space and sharing your thoughts and ideas and resources and everything like that? Yeah, I do. The online space has become, in some ways, an extension of the Teachers Cry Too project. And so even since the book was released, I've learned a lot more about well-being in the workplace And every time I come across something helpful, I try and post that or share that online. I remember when I was really struggling, um, I found it one of the symptoms with the brain fog is that I found it really difficult to retain and absorb information and process information. And I found social media quite helpful for that because social media gives information in bite-sized chunks which is all I could kind of process at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sometimes it can be as something as simple as reframing something, or it can be a definition of a concept to do with wellbeing that I didn't understand before, or perhaps it can be an idea or somebody else's experience that they've shared just briefly can be quite helpful. And so that's why I quite like the social media space. I'm not a natural social media person. I've really had to upskill. I I didn't know what I was doing and probably, you know, I I could learn a lot more. But that's why I'm using the Instagram and the Facebook space. Yeah, I think you're doing a great job. I know you've shared so many great ideas and resources and and quotes and um, you've shared so many great things about teacher wellness and well-being. So yeah, keep up the great work. It doesn't come across that you uh, aren't all over it, Sue. So no, keep up the great job. Love all Thank the you. your graphics and designs and stuff as well. So you're doing a great job. Thanks, Todd. Oh, it takes me hours though, I must say. Not no, like, I... oh, you know, some people can just do it in seconds and my I labor over it what what takes me what should take me probably 20 minutes takes me about two hours <laughs> no I get it I totally understand and then you've just recently launched takeaway Tuesday on Instagram so what's all this about oh uh, yeah I'm glad you asked about that so what I've realized um in this space in my work in this teacher well-being space is that I'm coming across lots of really good research and emerging research so it's really current and this is a space that we're we're learning about fairly quickly now and we're moving pretty quickly but the thing about research is that it rarely makes its way into the hands of teachers and even when it does teachers just don't have time to read it certainly when I was a full-time teacher I didn't have time to sit down and read research like that and so what I did was I launched this research-based feature called Takeaway Tuesday at six o'clock on a Tuesday I just post a couple of minutes which is a summary of some research that I've come across that I think ah, this would be really helpful for teachers they probably won't see it themselves. They probably won't find it. And if they do, they haven't got time to read it. So I just posted as a summary. 
Um, it doesn't matter if people aren't on there at six o'clock on Tuesday. That's just when I post it. But people can go in any time and access it. And some people are using it as a little couple of minutes to begin a meeting, just as a discussion prompt or something to reflect for a meeting. And some people are just using it for their own self-awareness and their own information to build up their understanding about teacher well-being and um, the research that's happening in this area. I guess I, I started it really because I, I believe that, you know, that when we know better, we can do better. So in that way, I do think it is important to, to know about what is the research saying about questions that you asked earlier. How can schools better support teachers, teacher wellbeing? That research, I think, is important for us to know about. Yeah, wonderful. Great idea, Sue. And yeah, I'm glad that there's the schools uh, that are using it in their in their meetings and everything like that. I think that's wonderful. So no, keep up the awesome job of that as well. And then if you had to give some advice to new teachers, graduates uh, entering the teacher field, what would your advice be? My advice would be don't take on too much too soon. Pace yourself. Give yourself time to learn who you are as a teacher. and Use your mentors, use your line supervisors to help guide you in times of uncertainty. Don't try and, or you don't have to figure out everything on your own. And I come back to that idea of we work in schools and have some fun. Don't be afraid to deviate from the lesson plan. Read the kids in front of you. If, you know, if they just need 10 minutes to go out and play a game or have an icebreaker, then do that with them. Yeah, great advice. I think that's wonderful. I think, yeah, and I think the importance of, and we sometimes lose it, the importance of having a little bit of fun and having that teaching moment that you didn't expect to happen and, and actually going on that path with them. I think they're the really key moments you do need to take along the way as a teacher and not fully stick to the the plan that you have, which is super important. You need to cover that. But yeah, don't be afraid to, as you said, take, have those fun moments go on this little different learning path as well along the way sometimes um, unexpected learnings can come outside the lesson plan and they, they can be just as valuable absolutely and then do you have any goals and aims for the future sue i think my goal at the moment is to help teachers to feel as though they are in control of their work rather than work controlling them because i want teaching to be a sustainable profession that is appealing to, to people. We need good teachers and it is a wonderful job. It's a wonderful profession. It's a highly rewarding profession, but we need to make sure that we are in control of our work rather than the other way around. Yeah, excellent. And then if anyone wanted to get in contact with you, Sue, how can they go about getting in contact? Uh, either through the Instagram account or the Facebook account. I have got an email as well, uh, teacherscry2 at gmail.com if they would like to message me. Beautiful. And I'll put all those as well into the show notes so people can click on that and check you out. Great. Awesome. And then what's one teaching resource you couldn't live without? Well, does it make me sound boring to say ClickView? No, that's fine. Go for it. I love ClickView. It's just got so many really good resources on there, short pieces of um, visual that can break up a heavy theory lesson, especially in secondary schools. And so I often use ClickView. Yeah, beautiful. Whatever works for you, it's your teaching resource, Sue. So no, that's fantastic. And then before we finish up, are you happy to play a little game today? This is the part I've been waiting for, Todd. <laughs> 
<laughs> Love it. Well, this so, is called Todd Stock Exchange. So you, yep. you can either buy, I'm going to say something, you can either buy it, means you get around it, hold it, you're unsure, or sell it, you really don't get around it. Yep. Okay. All right, Rodeo, let's see how we go. The first one is a staff meeting. Do you buy it, hold it, or sell it? Oh, it depends on the staff meeting. I'd have to say hold because some are really valuable. Some, I think, oh, we could do better than that. <laughs> Excellent. Like it. Great start. What about yard duty? Buy, hold, sell? I would buy yard duty because I always learn something about kids on yard duty. Excellent. Even if I don't interact with them personally, you can you can learn a lot from body language, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. No, great job. What about a chisel tip whiteboard marker? Buy, hold, sell? What even is that? Chisel tip whiteboard marker. I need to help you out here. Well, you got your bullets, you got your bullet tip whiteboard marker, and then there's a chisel tip whiteboard marker. And I'm a huge buy of a chisel tip whiteboard marker if you haven't used one before it'll change your life i think you need to give it a go i'm buying a chisel tip whiteboard marker well i'm looking forward to hearing the outcome <laughs> when you use one when you're teaching i'm um, gonna send you a photo of me using one that's fantastic <laughs> that's a huge buy for me if i can get a few more people on board the chisel tip <laughs> whiteboard marker that's fantastic okay <laughs> what about professional learning buy hold sell i'd have to buy that yep I think that's important. Excellent. What about tin tuna in the staff room? Buy, hold, sell? Yeah, I'd buy that. That's a good staple for teachers. Healthy, easy, easy go-to. Excellent. What about hoarding coffee cups in a classroom and then bringing them all back on like a Friday? Definitely sell. How bad is it when you're a teacher in the staff room and you go to get a coffee cup and there's none there because they're in somebody's classroom? Yes. Yep. Totally agree. That's um, just that's just breaking teacher code. That <laughs> love it. Uh, what about teacher wellness and well-being? Buy, hold, sell. Of course, buy. Love it. And last one is I think I know the answer to this one. Teachers cry to book. Buy, hold, sell. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> love it. Great answer there, Sue. Well done. And I'm going to give you the win. And I yep. cannot wait to see you using the chisel tip whiteboard <laughs> marker in the future. So that is fantastic. So I'll give you the win today. Well done. Hey, Todd, can I get it from Officeworks? Yeah, you can get them at Officeworks. They're there. That's right, that, I'm going to Officeworks tomorrow and I'm going to buy one. <laughs> awesome. Now it's changed. It's changed my handwriting on a whiteboard. So I can't wait to see the outcome for you. Okay. Okay. A deal. <laughs> Love it. And that's actually the end of the podcast, Sue. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. It was wonderful hearing about your teaching journey and then also your honesty about the struggles that you've had along the way and the process to be able to build yourself back up and to be achieving all the amazing things you're now doing as well. I think it's wonderful the space that you're putting together and the book that you've put together and the online space and community that you've now doing with Teachers Cry Too. I think it's wonderful. So yeah, credit to you for doing all this extra research and all the things you're doing to support teachers to be able to do the best job they can. So yeah, well done. Yeah, and thanks so up much, the... Todd. And I have to say, um, thanks to you because I think podcasts like yours are really important in showcasing uh, what teachers are doing. And I've listened to that there you've got such a wide range of different guests on your on your show and I think uh, you know that it's great to be amplifying the work that that people are doing because as you rightly point out there are so many innovative creative committed educators out there and it's really it's terrific that they've got a, a platform such as yours um, where they can share best practice 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the most exciting thing about doing the podcast is people getting to share their stories and learning from other people as well. So I think it's wonderful. So yeah, keep up the amazing job, Sue. And yeah, I can't wait to see all the stuff you keep doing on Instagram as well. So no, keep it up. Great. I'll send you that pic tomorrow. Yeah, can't wait to see it. Thanks, Sue. See you later. Bye. And that is the end of the 48th episode of the Toddcast, the Teacher Podcast. It was amazing having Sue come on today and sharing about her teaching career and also about her struggles with mental health and well-being and all the things she's now doing with Teachers Cry 2 with her book and also on her Instagram and Facebook page. If you haven't already, make sure you go follow both those pages. Sue puts amazing advice and resources and information about teacher well-being and wellness. So make sure you go and check it out. And I cannot wait for you to join me in a couple of weeks time for the next episode of the Toddcast. See you later.